Welcome, and today I have Michael Voss from Coco Palette. Yes, great to be here. Listened to most of your podcast in the car last week, and uh, happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad you enjoyed them, and um, we're really glad to have you here because I think you've come up with one of the most elegant kind of circular solutions that I've ever seen, and I think Coco Palette has got a very promising future. Yeah, definitely. We developed it by interviewing hundreds and hundreds of customers in Asia. And so we came up with this product because it just makes sense. So clues in the name, I guess, but what is, um, what is Coco Palette? Oh, it's, it's very simple. To transport things like in boxes, you need pallets to put them in a container. So it's just a helping hand for like transportation. Mostly they're made from wood. And wood is very scarce, very expensive, almost doubled in price some places. So we have an alternative for wooden pallets for the Asian market, for the exporters. And uh, we make it from the waste from coconuts, like the hairy part around the coconut. That's usually just being thrown away, being burned. And so we buy it from the farm cooperatives, we process it and we press it into big, big, heavy molds into very sustainable, 100% bio-based pallets that can can be reused as soil improver after they arrive in like in America so we focus on Asian market because they need the most export pellets, one-way pellets. And so it's a solution to where wood is expensive, uh, scarce, and, and needed in high quantities. So it, it's a totally circular proje- project. And uh, what's the interesting thing about the coconut? It has the fiber, but also the glue inside. So you make a kind of NDF without any additives, no chemicals, no nothing. I think that's the super you know, innovative part that you guys have done because I've seen a lot of things using fibers, molds and other things where we can use natural fibers, but you seem to have taken it one step further or or maybe it's just the fact that the coconut is kind of the Swiss army knife of the plant kingdom. It's just an unbelievable resource. I think you can kind of map, and I've actually seen in the past that um, scientists have have looked into the different DNA um, sequencing of coconuts and you can kind of see how our economics and, and, and societal colonization, et cetera, sort of took the coconut everywhere rather than just uh, just the tides, because um, obviously they obviously float. But you guys have really managed to do something special, I think, which is you, you're not using any resin. You're not using anything to kind of, other, that's not non-natural, I should say, to to, to make your, your pallets. Um, yeah, that must have been technically tra- quite challenging. Well, it's easy to make panel board, like flat things, but we make like 3D shaped things. That's the hard part. And basically any woody material has like lignin, cellulose, and hemicellulose, like three main components. Mm-hmm. Coconut has the same, the, the husk. And if you just put a lot of pressure and heat, it just melts together. Mm-hmm. But how to do this in a 3D shape, that, that's the challenging part because you have no flow. Yeah. But yeah, the coconut, it's it's the tree of, they call it the tree of life, the coconut palm. And, and because you have eat food, drinks, fuel, building <laughs> materials, it's just amazing. Well, we love the coconut tree. Yeah, it's, it, it, we, we've seen a few, well, we've actually interviewed a couple of um, founders uh, doing cool stuff with uh, with coconuts um, on Disruptors for Good, because as you say, they're just, I think because they're fibrous as well, and, and, and the husk is, is a problem if it's not, if it's not disposed of correctly. And we eat 
millions, in fact, billions probably of of coconuts globally. So there's a, there's a lot of coconut yeah. farming, right? And that produces all the waste. And the waste, I think, you know, is just typically burnt or stacked, and then you get rats and infestations and all this other kind of stuff around it. So it's not really something that's seen to have a value. But I mean, you're making a product that that will have a will have definitely a value for it. And and you mentioned that you're you're already experiencing kind of crazy demand for for your for your product. Why do you think that is? It's very simple because what we did is develop something that is uh, sustainable and affordable. Uh, mostly sustainable things are way more uh, expensive. Like organic tomatoes are like two or three times the price of an, of an average tomato. Mm-hmm. And um, we learned from our hardwood bamboo project that we did years ago. We made a brilliant product with, with like a good alternative for hardwood. But our price was higher than the cubic meter price for hardwood that could be illegally taken from the forest. Right. So you could not scale it. You have to scale it. So you have to find the biggest problem you can find. So you have to start loving problems and looking at problems and looking at the opportunity in the, in the problems. And that's what we did. We said like we made something that is does the same trick and is sustainable and the same price or cheaper than the existing solution. And especially when prices go up, people just run to you. And that's what's happening right now. Right. Uh, basically like big corporations, like because also the multinationals, they have this sustainability paragraph in, 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 their, in their goals and things. And so they have to, but they have to not, they have no idea how to do it. This is like very easy. You just, you make it easy for people to like hey you got something better and the price is right so we can calculate that you have like let's say you use a million pellets and they're like two dollars cheaper so like hey that saves you two million dollars well that's something you want to tell your manager hey i just saved you like uh, two or like two million dollars and our carbon footprint goes down and then we can calculate what is the co2 reduction so it's it's a numbers game it's um, you have to quantify what you're doing, so you you also can steer, you can learn from that. But we quantify everything. We we are very really like data mining all the time about the sourcing, about the production, about the energy, about what we're replacing, and that's interesting. Way, way more important than we thought. Yeah, I I, I, I want to dig into that a little bit, and I also want to know why pallets, how you how you first cottoned on to this opportunity around pallets, because they're kind of we all see them in hardware stores. But like, it's not something I've ever thought about as 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 a as a market opportunity. If I'm if I'm no, br- brutally it. honest, no, nobody thinks about pellets. <laughs> but before we do, before we answer that, um, I had a look at your background, your bio, and and I like to try and understand from our guests how they got into the game they got into um, and what led them there. And I've never spoken to someone before who was a mil- uh, like one of their early life experiencing experiences being a military police officer. So I was kind of shocked to see that on your LinkedIn so so um, tell me how your early how your early career formed and uh, you must be used to tense situations so business shouldn't be a problem well indeed that's quite shocking my, my military background but uh, one thing you learn in the military is just don't panic <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's happening and just take action and take decisions keep taking decisions and uh, you, you can never take only the right decision so you have to move on. But uh, now it, it was mandatory service. We had to in this, those time, you know. I just got a, a letter from the minister, DOD, like, okay, you're expected at that military base then and then. I was like, oh, cool. Because <laughs> I didn't know what study to do. And um, and this is different times, you know. It was like 89 when I 
mm-hmm. uh, joined the army and I had the best tests on, on everything. So I could basically choose what unit. So then of course you go for, for like the special forces, like the, the elite units. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought the school was boring. The teachers were stupid. I was like a terrible kid. <laughs> and um, then I, I, was, I, I just jo- showed up at the army base and I thought like, oh my God, this is even worse. <laughs> People are screaming at me. Yeah. And, and, but actually I just flourished in that environment after a few months because I liked it. I, I, I always had this warrior gene. Uh, so, but it took much longer than expected. It, it was supposed to take 12, 14 months. And I just, I came out of the army after two and a half years during that time, uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. Mm-hmm. We all decided to kick him out. And so our team was sent in and we were living in the desert for, for half a year. And that was an amazing educational time with like all these people from different kinds of parts of the world. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And it was, if I compare it with all the people I know that have been to Afghanistan and Iraq, I think like, oh. What we did was like a walk in the park, like a club met. Uh, yeah. But other people will not disagree with that. But mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it, it was so educational. It was like pressure cooker. It was fast learning. Uh, I'm very grateful for that crazy period in my life. It's, a, it's something to draw from. And and and, and when you got back, um, like what was life like, and and what was your journey uh, to next sea? Well. I think you hear this more often from people who've been to war. They think like everything is boring after you come back from such a thing. And uh, so I came back here for two weeks and then I thought like, nah. So I left to, I lived in the States for, for like six to nine months and, and traveled around, uh, got approached by the U.S. Marines if I wanted to be an officer there. And then I said, hey, I'm not even American. He said, oh, you can fix that. Uh, I said, it was like a, a disease, not being American. It was quite funny. Uh, so, yeah, and then I just started like businesses, worked here and there, and I'm just finding my way because, you know, this few years in the military uprooted my whole academic career, basically. Right. You know, you don't want to go back when you're like 22, 23, sitting between kids from 18, 19. And, and that was a big change uh, that, 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 that like changes the course of, of your life. Uh, and then you have to decide, okay, if this is not the thing, what is it going to be? And then, you know, and I've always been a very avid reader. So I, I read every day still, buy books every week. And... You just start educating yourself and doing different things. And what what was the steps after that? Like, um, is is the next uh, nearest thing to the excitement of warfare uh, being an entrepreneur, or was there some steps in between? Nah, not really. <laughs> like, I was a bit lost and I didn't really know what was my purpose. And, and you know, my parents were like always telling us, like, uh, you know, the, the purpose of life is a life of purpose, and we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? <laughs> All of us doing something meaningful eh? because it's not about just consuming and just having a job to go on holidays. No, you have to add value. And it, adding value is, I think, something very important in our family. And I'm very grateful for that because living without a purpose, I think that would be, sound so empty to me, to us. Uh, so I also like, what is the thing I'm here for? And uh, slowly, and it, of course, it took way too much time to, to get there <laughs> but uh and and then during the path unfolds when you when you start walking 
so it was the bamboo project, some water cleaning project before, now the mm-hmm. cocoa pellet project. But everything you do helps you in the next steps. And one time when everything comes together, you think like, oh, this is why I had this experience and that doing that. Everything you did in the past, even if you thought they were massive failures, mm-hmm. help you. And I think that's a, such a relief that you think, oh, God, so I didn't waste those 20 years. <laughs> it was just training yeah so how did you end up so how did you come to this idea around pallets it's simple because i had uh, i was importing a lot of stuff from china mostly natural stone i still have natural stone company on the side Ah, and pallets were always of very poor quality and then i was always pissed off because like why and then and i've been to china like 20 times and i thought like oh shit I never seen trees there, no forest. Hmm. They have hardly any wood. That's why they take anything they can get their hands on. It should cost as minimum, little as possible because it's everything you spend on packaging goes uh, up from your net profit. Yeah. And then I read this report from the university, the agricultural university in the Netherlands, that the professor gave me, gave it to me personally, Professor Van Dam. He said, like, read this, because this has is massively available. There are like 72, like 80 or 80 billion coconuts worldwide. And the husk has fiber and glue, and nobody's using it really. That's what I like, wow, that's interesting. And so I read the report. I called him the next day and said, like, hey, why is nobody doing it? Because this looks brilliant. He said, like, oh, everybody fails because of this and this and this, all stupid things. And, uh, and I thought, like, they just developed the wrong product. And after two months or something, I thought, like, oh, when I received a container of stuff with bad pellets, they are going to make pellets. <laughs> and then I went back to the university and said, like, yeah, that's not possible. And then said, and everybody said, like, it's not possible because you can only do flat things. And I thought, like, nah, it must be possible. And as nobody believed it, I thought, like, well, I just took my savings and I went to China, bought a machine, like a machine and stuff, and, and we just started making things. So it was like two years of disaster. And then <laughs> finally, when I took my youngest brother Daniel with me one day, to the north of China, I was thinking, middle of winter. We made pallets that were not good enough, but mm-hmm. reasonably enough. Saying like, okay, we're in the right direction. And so it was, you know, the, the most important thing is just do not give up. Show grit and just continue. I've been advised at least two, maybe 300 times to, to stop it. <laughs> to do something else. And you just, you just have to not... Mm-hmm. Like people think you're listening, and then just do what you think is the right thing to do. You have to stay the course, right? So this is uh, your your military experience coming in, which is like you have no choice. Yeah, other, in a way, that's helpful. Yeah, you, you you know, like this got my name on it. I have to do this. This is my my calling. And then yeah. and then you're te- being tested and tested and tested, and we, and still we're not there yet. Yeah? We're opening the big first factory of many next year in the Philippines. We really look forward and working towards that. Uh, but if the first factory is operational and we're making products that customers like and we're making a decent profit, which looks like it, then it's so scalable. We can make build like three, four factories in the Philippines. Uh, we have invitations from in, the, Indonesia, India, also two countries with lots of coconuts. Yeah. Thailand, Mexico, Brazil, of course. And... Um, but also, if you can make pellets, you could make a lot of other things too. You know? So that that's something for later. First, yeah. Laser focus is pellets, and that that's it. And and why China? Because that seems uh, I, I don't think of China as a place with uh, 
with many coconuts. <laughs> yeah, they have some coconuts in the south in Hainan Island. It's like the Hawaii of China. Yeah. But um, no, but they, they make, there's a lot of machine building in the north of China. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went there. Because ah, okay. they were making machines and uh, like a press there will cost you like 100K and the same press will cost you like uh, 2 million in Germany, for example. So This is the press that actually molds the fibers and, and yeah, creates the Yeah, of course it's utterly useless yeah <laughs> to use a press of 100k yeah we found out right but um yeah see uh, it's it's a very delicate process you need uptime and so we decided to go with a way which is like uptime and so then you work with profi- uh, machine builders that are just excel in what they do and, mm-hmm. and that, that's why we came back to you yeah. and and now you've cracked it. Um, how are these things strong enough to take the stone that you originally used to get on a pallet? Because obviously, coconut husk doesn't seem like something that would be particularly strong with heavy loads. What, what uh, your- our focus our focus is on fast moving consumer goods, like things in boxes, not mm-hmm. too heavy, not exceeding like a thousand, twelve hundred kilos of pallet. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a massive market already. So if somebody says like, oh, I want to put concrete on it or natural stone, which has a, like a density of like 3000 kilos a cubic meter, we say, no, don't do it. Yeah, okay. And also because stone and, and concrete things you put outside in the rain. And the whole idea is that our pellets are used in a dry environment. Okay. And at the end of the line, they're being shredded and used as biomass. Yeah. So, so this is, I think, is one of the most amazing things. So, because you basically are taking something that is biomass, that is a waste product, that you then um, turn into something of value for a coconut farmer potentially, and then you obviously do your clever stuff to turn it into uh, something of value. Uh, and I think one of the key things here is this: this I've had a look at them. Right, they unlike normal pallets, they kind of nest into each other a bit, like uh, if you had some paper cups or something, where you uh, right. So, so so they don't take up like a ton of space when they're not being not being used. So that's yeah, so when we ship them. Yeah. True. When we shift it to our customers, we can put like three times more in a, in a container than the the ever the normal pellet because they right. nested. It also, it implements that if you put them in the racking, it's different than than other pellets because you need yep. like a, a closed floor of the racks. And so we just have to explain like, is this going to work? So that's why we have to study like the supply chain, not only like one place, but the whole supply chain of customers. Yeah, it's going to work for you. And so sometimes or very regularly, we say like. Mm, we don't think it's a solution to you. You better use this solution or that solution. Like, yeah. And if people can use reusable pellets, that's always the best thing to do. So if people can do that, if, if they only use pellets in America or in Europe, you say like, hey, just use a, a very strong plastic or wooden pellet that you can reuse hundreds of times. It's yeah. Better for you. Yeah. And yeah, so it's it's, it's, it's like understanding the needs of the customer and their customers because it, it's the supply chain yeah. the most important thing for us and my colleague uh, our colleague in the philippines Ikel, he is like master in that he's, he's just interviewing them having like questionnaires and just trying to deeply understand what is it what you do is this going to work for you and mm-hmm. if so how are we going to make it work? Uh, which is also a fun process, you know. Sales by just pushing boxes—that that's is boring. <laughs> yeah. By 
listening, more consulting way of sales. That is so much better. So the um, the initial customers for you guys are, uh, are selling, I don't know, phones and, and laptops and electronics and, and those kinds of things because it's a natural fit. Toys, food, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, that's where we start with. Also, can you imagine the amount of pellets needed for uh, fruits and vegetables and bananas? Oh, right. Yeah. It, that's insane. So so these pallets typically would be shipped um, long distances with, with the produce on, right? And then there, there's no, I don't know, I kind of assumed in my mind that pallets just got kind of used for, for the next thing, uh, a bit like a shipping container. Um, but that's not the case, is it? No, see, the pallets that we used to, see, a container is typically something that is meant to be used hundreds and thousands of times. And a pallet that is in a, in a local circulation, like in Europe, in America, like in Australia, same thing. But for export, when it goes over the seas, over a thing uh, uh, to another continent, that never comes back. Yeah. So every cent you spend on that thing, it's like a cardboard box. Just mm-hmm. bare minimum, that's it. Because otherwise, it doesn't make sense financially. And uh, we could make a pallet that's extremely strong and can be used on times, but we won't. We refuse because then it's we have to add chemicals and, and synthetic stuff to it that and we just we don't think it's needed because if you just receive the pellets at the end shred them and sell them as biomass all, all the, the companies that make pot soil and import coconut material they were mm-hmm. faced with massive price hikes in the containers the container that used to cost a thousand dollars cost now fifteen thousand dollars so the shipping is more expensive than the the what's in the container so they've seen the tests what the, the university did about the, the, the reuse of the coconut pellet to use and they're like oh bring it here love it because it does the same thing but the shipping costs are already paid paid for international shipping so so essentially when it's um i mean the the the, sorry the point around shipping um yeah i mean i think everyone uh, everyone's feeling that that if they ever have to get something imported or 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 move or whatever the the cost of shipping containers i know from friends here obviously in singapore um is it's just got crazy simply because of the fuel fuel price hike so that's going to be adding some uh, demand i'm sure because your real product is even more attractive than if you uh, if you can import more uh, more pallets for the for this for, in one container than you would in a typical one yeah that makes a big difference also it will reduce the carbon footprint per pallet uh, mm-hmm. big time and that has to do with fuel uh, basically but you see that it goes up and down you see the container costs are going down now but they will never go back to the level i think that we had the last 10 years uh, it, it's it's they're building more vessels so the, the more containers are being made so the cost will go down and uh, but the world is changing and from offshoring we're going to like onshoring so people will start producing more things in europe and in the states which i think is a very good thing but uh, we'll 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 be facing we're looking at a d- different world in 10 years to see what's happening and, and the fuel costs it's, it's, it's very exciting to see what's happening and, and people can make their choices like oh I'm already buy something which is locally sort of grown and sourced and made from far away. So, but then still, you know, if the market from 1.7 billion pellets goes to 1 billion pellets a year, that's still a lot of pellets and a lot of wood. And we don't have that. So how much is a pallet to to just say, because I don't know about this kind of stuff, how much does a pallet set you back? It depends a bit what kind of pellets we make. And, but uh, we, we... we want to sell there where we're competitive. So it yeah. will be between 10 and 12 US dollars. X-Factory uh, depends a bit on the size. 
Mm-hmm. And also, of course, if the alternative from made from wood is like twenty-four, yes, yeah, yeah. the case, yeah, we can go up in price. <laughs> Definitely, and you want to be doing that as a uh, yeah. as a startup, yeah, you, you of course. Could, yeah, you can bankroll your your own growth uh, in a way. Yeah, you could keep so, away from these dodgy VC guys, right? So, <laughs> yeah, see, you have to be very picky for for investors you need some alignment in that mm-hmm. because if, if it's only money driven then there's no match it's gonna work against you it's gonna you're gonna shoot yourself in the foot that's why we're very picky with who we work with we learned that and and we have shown that we can make something which is extremely strong and mm-hmm. that answers the demand from the market and then we can scale it and we have a very strong team so yeah i think we're extremely interesting for an impact investor but somebody like a group that really wants to scale because you know, we can build 10 factories and uh, so it's massive so you know we are quite confident that that is not the biggest problem also the sales not because there's we create a pool from the markets mm. and even I think- a company like uh, would say like uh, we don't buy pellets directly because our suppliers do we tell them to use a copper pellet instead of a wooden pellet because it's better for us yeah, well, it seems to make sense to you can scale up based on where, where there's a rich supply of coconuts as your raw ingredient. Yeah, and those are the most beautiful places on earth. <laughs> yeah, not too bad for uh, uh, office uh, off-sites, is it? Uh, I guess if you're in places like Brazil and yeah. Philippines and Indonesia, etc. Have you already got ideas of where, where this can go? Because the mold, I guess I should describe, it's kind of like uh, a 3D mold that you've made with the, the fibers so that, 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 you know, a forklift can get underneath and pick it up and it'll support um you know all the produce and things that you were you were describing but it's not kind of dissimilar in a way to what you might find in a modern i don't know uh if you, like a laptop or something like that uh, or a, a, f- a phone box or something they're trying obviously all the consumer electronics companies are trying to do the right thing and, and not use plastic molded stuff anymore and they're kind of using cardboards i've seen and other, and other things so it's not hugely dissimilar to that um so have you already got ideas of what next applications you would do you can do with something that you, is sort of three-dimensional and structural or, or would you rather not say we have a lot of ideas about that uh, but the main question is like what problem do you want to solve first and i think that the the availability of sustainable building materials, affordable sustainable building materials in like remote areas. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very interesting. Like making building products on islands in, in, in Polynesia, the Caribbean, whatever. They have they have a lot of coconut waste, but they have to import plywood, MDF, particle board, which is very expensive because containers to the small places are. Mm very costly it would be more in that direction like smart building products because that 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 solves a problem but you know that only when we have built several factories of rock pellet that run well yeah that you would do something like that and that could be together with local governments local entrepreneurs because you know i think that entrepreneurs really are it's such a more efficient model to to bring change like for profit you can solve any problem and especially if you have this more holistic view that you think like okay it's about who are the stakeholders and how can we make sure it works for all the stakeholders and of course as an investor or like an owner and a founder you're also a stakeholder so you also have to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> things are also go go sideways true but 
there must be a business model. So there must be a problem that you're solving and you must be have a very good solution. And and that's also the most fun, of course, to, to develop with the right team. And what's next for you? Well, what's next for your team? You're commercializing and you're, you're, you're trying to scale up um, the amount of pallets you can produce and get this ready for kind of um, some big growth? Yeah, you start to build more factories. You start to develop different models together with customers in the industries like uh, that's are more catered to their specific needs for example for fruits and vegetables you need a different palette than for electronics and uh but yeah it's, it's it's a lot of listening to the to to our customers like okay what works for you guys and have you tried before that didn't work like so if, if somebody has really tried to solve something didn't work that's mm-hmm. the best place you can be because then they did an effort they did an investment and if they didn't find it yet they're searching for something like a solution and this is how we like to develop new things and that's almost endless but uh, basically i'm trying to make myself a bit obsolete like that i'm not that needed anymore especially for the continuation of the company that's very important i think that's a valuable valuable approach, a valuable lesson for people, which is like so easy to take a technology that you've developed and go, oh, we could make this thing and then, uh, you know, build it and they will come mentality. But I think, you know, key learning is is making sure that you've, you're solving a big enough problem and and, and not applying, um, you know, what you've just learned to something where there isn't really that big of a big of a need. So so that validation is critical. So I do I do agree that that's 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 a smart learning. Yeah, indeed, that's a smart thing to do. Um, you can you can develop something that's brilliant and nobody wants it. Well, then it starts to become a bit stupid. <laughs> so that's why you just have to see, go out and see. But it's not always like the case, you know. Uh, I think when Apple came with the iPad and they, they would tell people like 50 years ago, hey, you want an iPad? No, because <laughs> you don't know what it is. And then yeah. they brought it to the market and they became like first mover. And, and they had like the, their the blue ocean in there. And they, they still sell a lot of these things. Yeah. So um, it's not always the case, but developing something in a market where you have a lot of competition and you don't really unique, you don't have to really like put USBs. Ah, that's not smart because the chances to succeed are very slim. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a waste of resources. Brilliant. Well, uh, look, I, I've learned a few things through this, which is um, basically look for the big opportunity. Don't give up at any price. Um, the, be disciplined um, that you got through your through your uh, military background. And, you know, things will come basically, but make sure you're addressing a, a big enough opportunity. And I really think that the Cocoa Palette has a very strong opportunity to become an obvious choice for, for lots of uh, your customers, because I don't know many corporates or bigger companies that aren't looking at ways to reduce their, their CO2. And of course, um, as a whole shipping um, infrastructure still runs on pretty nasty diesel and stuff, um, you know, a good way to do that is to, to avoid having materials traveling halfway around the world um, just to be made into pallets and then have her have a one you know one one single use and and then end up as charcoal or or, or burnt or whatever. So I think Singapore's going to love your pallets, uh, Michael, because we we're only a small country and we need a bit more soil. So I think we could be importing yeah, all these we... goods and then just shredding it and turning it into a bit of uh, biomass to uh, to grow our our target of thirty percent of our food to come from Singapore uh, by by twenty thirty. Yeah. 
but imagine if you like make like 20 million pellets times like let's say 15 kilos that's a lot of biomass it is that can uh, turn deserts into like healthy soil like like gardens and and it, it totally makes sense and of course what you do has to make sense but what we learned basically from this is like you have to look at problems and like when we are young, we learn like to stay away from problems. But as an entrepreneur, you have to see like, oh, you look at different different eyes at problems. Like, what's the opportunity in that problem? And can I solve this problem with another problem we have? So then we solve two problems at the same time. Well, that, that's basically what we do. 100%. Uh, I think that's the beauty of it. And as you brought up at the beginning, you're, 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 you're offering a product which is a lot cheaper or, or significantly cheaper, at least for um, providing the same quality of, um, of, of service. So... I think a lot of people always think that impact is something that you're having to compromise on. This is a nice example of where you just have to, in some cases, uh, understand some 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 uh, kind of adjacent problems and have the imagination and the will and determination to to uh, stay the course and and produce something that can address it. And you absolutely deserve to have some success on the back of uh, of this. And I really look forward to being invited to a few of your factory. Uh, visits or tours in the future in all the most beautiful top tropical yeah. places in the world. <laughs> Do come because you know I, I promise you one thing: the opening parties will always be on the beach. Uh, that's good. That's where the factories are. <laughs> because and that's where you're getting the coconuts. <laughs> there's a lot of coconuts around there, so uh, see, it has to be fun because. Yeah. What we do is is pretty hard, and yeah. if there's no fun in in the game, it is it's unbearable. <laughs> so <laughs> you you must have fun with the team and, and also celebrate your your when things go well because that that's what you deserve. Well, and, I'm I I, yeah, I really welcome. look forward to being there. I'm gonna have a coconut um caipirinha in my hand or something. <laughs> uh, it will be probably a pina colada, but oh uh, yeah, that's true, pina colada. Send you an invite when 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 we get there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's very close to Singapore where we built built first factory. So, guys, if you're interested in uh, Coco Palette, then hit the link. Um, connect to Michael on uh, LinkedIn. Check out the website, and uh, if you know any big uh, potential customers or uh, value aligned investors then i'm sure he'd be grateful for the introduction michael thank you so much for the chat and uh, for your time today and all the best with coco palette 